It's time for the Manufacturing Austin Podcast, sponsored by Texas Mutual. Welcome. My name is Ed Latson, and this is the Manufacturing Austin Podcast, sponsored by Texas Mutual. Today, our guest is Marsha Osborne, Chief Operating Officer with Alencor, a manufacturer of air purifiers. Uh, Marsha, it's great to have you here. How's everything going? Thank you so much. It's going great. Well, um, I know due to COVID, you guys have been experiencing an unprecedented demand. Uh, anything going towards cleaning air right now is hot. Uh, what's it like on a day-to-day basis? Well, it's explosive growth, and it has been more than exciting and rewarding every single day. Mm-hmm. Well, what are um, some of the challenges that you're looking at right now? So the big challenges really are um, not having all of the people and processes in place anticipating this type of growth. So what ended up happening is as the growth started, so it was two catalysts to the growth, and that was COVID and um, the wildfires all over the country. So those two factors, you know, unfortunately for all, many, all of us really, um, has created an opportunity for us to go out and truly help people. And I love that about this business is that I really feel like we are making a difference as a team for the rest of the world that is experiencing some very challenging situations right now. Mm-hmm. We're basically, you know, our whole mission is dedicated to improving the quality of people's lives by making the best air purification products on the planet. And we totally stand behind that and feel that we are making a difference for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's go back and, and talk about the, the people um, issue. And, and obviously that's a challenge a lot of companies face as they're ramping. Um, how, do you, how do you tackle that? Well, first, really understanding, you know, what the needs really are in the business and not just taking the processes as they are today, but looking at automating the processes and being able to scale, not only nationally, but internationally. And so re-identifying what those real needs are and the kind of skill sets that we need to do that. So looking for people that have done that have been in other businesses and had to scale very, very fast and making the best decisions that we possibly can in order to meet that mission. Well, you're newly installed in this role. Uh, You started back in August and, uh, you know, can you take us back to when you first started? Um, You know, you have to come in and really address a business that's uh, under a lot of demand. Um, What's your approach to really establishing yourself as a leader? Well, first of all, meeting every single person and player and understanding what their key challenges are and the kind of things that they've experienced and what their vision is for the future. You know, how each of the organizations can functionally support the overall mission in business and really listening. I spent the first two to three weeks listening to the people and listening to our customers. So I did a stent, which was very powerful. And that was, I pretended to be a full-blown customer service rep. And I went on the chat channels, 
phone lines, et cetera, for about four hours on a Friday, two weeks after I had started. And listening to what the customers were experiencing made a huge difference in what I thought the vision could be for the company and where I thought the weaknesses are that we needed to go address immediately. Mm-hmm. You go on this listening tour, um, you know, you really learn the business. How do you uh, take what you learned and make sure that you get the buy-in from the people that they understand that you're listening and still kind of put your uh, blueprint on what happens next? So I think it's the small wins and celebrating those small wins where they've told me that they had a challenge and I was able to go and address that challenge as low hanging fruit early on, gain their confidence and respect to know that I was a team player and in it to win it. I'm a servant leader and I listen closely to the kind of things they're experiencing. And there are some things that you can go in and change really quick and make a big difference for them every single day in doing their job and making them successful. Mm -hmm. And then continuing the conversation you know, going back and saying, okay, we made this change or we implemented this based on your feedback. How's it going now? Can can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the philosophy of being a servant leader? Yes. So I believe that people are the number one asset in any business. It doesn't matter what kind of business you're in, whether you're in a service business, a manufacturing business, and software company, et cetera. I mean, it is all about the people. And them knowing that you truly believe that, and I do, makes a big difference. You really can't fake it. Mm-hmm. People really are your number one asset. You can have the best technology in the world. You can have the best process in the world. But at the end of the day, if the people don't believe that and aren't a part of that, then you're not going to have the best company in the world. And every single time you know, I go into a business – It's all about making a great culture and a great business. And then whatever happens as far as the exit of that business or the future of that business, it all falls into place. It's all about building a great business and a great team. Well, I was lucky enough to know you at a prior role and, uh, you know, speak about building a great business. Um, You know, there's, there's been winners and there's been losers in the pandemic and unfortunately, you've been on both sides of that. Uh, Prior to Alencor, you were working with a company called Brigo which is a real darling startup, uh, you know, is poised for a lot of success. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with them? Ambrigo was a great experience and a ton of fun. And we experienced a lot of things together and a lot of growth as a company and as a team, including uh, bringing manufacturing back into the U.S. and partnering with a major manufacturer, the number one manufacturer in the world, actually and building the processes around, you know, really scaling that business. And just like you said, it was a startup. So here we are in the middle of COVID and uncertain time, et cetera. It made the outcome of that business different than what was expected or anticipated, but it was still a great outcome because the final outcome was that it it was an acquisition by Coca-Cola. So, Mm That could, you know, that is considered a great outcome, basically. And uh, the only thing is that Brigo, you know, didn't continue to get to to build its brand and keep its name and all of that good stuff. 
So the founders and the people that put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in that company, you know, were probably not as excited about the outcome of where it could have gone versus where it did go. One of the things I was really interested in about that business, specifically with you in a leadership role, is, is um, you know, the debate that happens with startups and, and small, medium-sized manufacturers, whether or not they should scale with a contract manufacturer or if they should try to build that in-house. Uh, with contract manufacturing, obviously, you can offload a lot of the expertise and, and scale rapidly. But um, the, the counter argument is, you know, that some companies want to own that to own the margin. Where do you come down on that? Um, you know, what do you feel? Do you feel like contract manufacturing is an important tool for small companies to scale? Or do you feel like it's better to own that process? Well, of course, it depends on the process, the product, how mature the actual build materials is, how mature the product really is, if you're really ready to scale or if you've got some more design iterations to go. If you've got multiple design iterations um, and it's not just building on the technology you have, but you're actually making a change, you know, I would say that keeping that part of the process in-house is critical. But if you're truly pretty settled on your bomb, it's a pretty mature design, and now you're really ready to scale, it's a, a really, really good opportunity to partner with a big manufacturer that has the talent, the expertise, the processes in place, has the footprint and the square footage. Because as you know, in Austin, Texas, it's hard to find real estate. And in the case of Brigo, the product was very, very large. So you really, in order to really scale that business, you needed a lot of square footage and you needed the people fast that had the kind of expertise for continuous improvement and for scalability, reliability, repeatability, and quality, consistent mm -hmm. quality of a product. And big contract manufacturers have those disciplines in place already. They've already built that. And so if you can partner, and it's a win-win for both companies, it can be just a very, very valuable partnership. And that's what we found at Brigo. You know, we were able to make it good. It was a win-win for both companies because they were busy building manufacturing in the U.S. and bringing more manufacturing back to North America. And so they needed a very unique, you know, new technology kind of product to really highlight what their capabilities were and so forth. So it was a true win-win for both companies. Brigo is one of those rare examples of a hardware company in Central Texas really succeeding, gaining a lot of momentum. There, there is a shortage of venture capital going into hardware startups. And, um, you know, it's a critical challenge manufacturing faces. You know, how can communities or governments really support hardware startups? By offering incentives for the community, for the people, for the business itself, partnering with the business because it's great for a community to have these businesses and to be able to scale them. Yeah. So I often talk about, you know, the manufacturing provides jobs to people of all demographics from GEDs to PhDs. And that's so important to give uh, people from all stratifications opportunity. And that's why we need manufacturing in central Texas and in the United States. 
you've been on the forefront of reshoring and uh, some major electronic uh, manufacturing in the United States. Can you talk about your time with Flex and, and the things that you did there? Uh, and for those of you don't don't know, you know, Flex has been making one of the most advanced computers in the world. Um, and maybe that computer has a piece of fruit on their logo or maybe not. But uh, Marcia, tell us about your experience with that. Yeah, that was a very, very challenging but rewarding time in my career. It was it was really, really fun bringing that many people into a manufacturing operation. And that particular operation was soup to nuts, meaning we started with a metal puck and went all the way to final assembly and test and then shipped all over the world within three days of a person going online and ordering a configuration. It was thousands of configurations that were possible. And within three days, that very configuration would ship all over the world. And being a part of that automated kind of processes and state-of-the-art equipment and bringing in that number of people with every discipline, just like you said, and running 24-7 basically to meet the demand. It was really exhausting and really rewarding for everyone, actually, that was a part of that product. I feel very, very fortunate that I was a part of that and got to participate and see that really come to life and happen. Do you feel like the United States can compete globally? A hundred percent. We have the best people in the world here and we have the best environment and opportunities to do just that. It just takes, you know, basically a village. We all have to work together to make that happen. We have to want it and it absolutely can happen. I'm, I'm doing it right now at Allen, actually. All of our products have been made in uh, Asia and China, and I am reshoring everything to North America as we speak with another major partner because our, you know, like I said in the beginning, we have gone up 4X and continuing more than 4X, actually, by the end of this year, end of December. It is uh, unbelievable. And so we're moving those products as fast as we can out of Asia. That's great to hear. And I think that's counter to what a lot of people maybe think um, in the general population is possible. But help us understand the business case. Like, why are you making that decision? Well, because first of all, I think everybody knows that there's been tariffs that have been enacted. And that makes it absolutely not affordable to continue to build products over there. We can easily compete with the labor and logistics and the time, the quality, et cetera, by moving that back to North America. And so we're doing it. Honest to God, the, the bombs, et cetera, we've been able to optimize such that it does make sense and that it is a good business decision. And it does provide the opportunity now for people and manufacturing and so forth, and not just to outsource to Asia. So we're in the middle of doing it right now. Do you anticipate uh, more companies making that decision as well? Or do you think that, um, you know, a lot of, even if manufacturing leaves China, it'll go to other low cost sites in Asia or maybe South America, Central America. Um, What do you see as the future of manufacturing globally? I would hope that United States and America continues to realize the value of doing that 
and providing the opportunity and jobs for people all across the U.S. and North America. And I believe that they will continue to look at that and consider it and do a cost analysis to really understand what the landed cost is by going to where they're going. And not only that, but the inconsistency of quality I have found to be challenging, inconsistency of processes, uh, not being able to control changes in a way that you want to in order to produce quality products repeatedly and reliably over and over and be able to scale the businesses and be able to scale it with good solid processes and data. And that is hard to get. And I have worked uh, with Asia manufacturing for my whole career. And there is nothing like being able to build it in North America and have those relationships. So I'm all over bringing manufacturing back to America. And absolutely, I think we can compete by optimizing processes and getting the cost out. Marsha, you know, you've spent time at Flex, um, leading these really advanced projects. You've been at Brigo, the startup that, you know, uh, had all the success. Um, what lessons do you take from those roles and bring with you to Alan? Uh, and, you know, what's, what's the future? The future is that continued people are your biggest asset in life, no matter whether it's personal or business, people and relationship is the number one priority that I believe make you successful. And then continuing to build on lessons learned and improving processes and improving technology and incorporating the things that you learn through every experience that you have. I think that's great advice um, for everybody to learn from. And uh, I'd really like to thank you for your time. Uh, It's been a great conversation. You're welcome. And also like to thank our sponsor, Texas Mutual. This is the Manufacturing Austin podcast, and we will see you next time.